Hi there, my name is Eddie Bowley, um, aka Edake. Uh, I am a writer, voice actor, I generally do stuff on YouTube, and that's me. What are the three things you value most in life? Three things I value the most. Um, I think, I think one's got to be laughter. I think um, a lot of what I do centers around making people laugh, making myself laugh. Um, that's not necessarily a healthy thing. Like I have spoken to a therapist in the past who has alluded to the fact that I do crave or indeed require validation from others in order to get happiness, <laughs> which is like, mm, maybe maybe laughter isn't quite appropriate, but like it is, it, it is still the case. I, uh, everything I do has only ever been to please entertain, inform, um, just make people laugh. That's been my whole, my whole thing. Um, uh, I guess, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be cheeky. Can I have friends and family as one thing, or do I have to make? Yeah, sure. Like connections is one thing. Yeah, human connection. People done what I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a nice broad spectrum there. Um, yeah, because I, I, there's, um, I guess as well, you're defined by the people you know, the people you socialize with, and um, the the things you do. And I, I it's because I got, I got a little boy, and like it's it's weird like the children are weird what, what what are they i still don't know um because i mean for example like i'm married as well and my wife my my wife uh, for a <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i was waiting for it i was like is there gonna be a reference and there has to be okay. there has to be um so the love i have for my wife is conditional it's based on uh, trust and respect and uh, and so on and so forth but my love for my son is unconditional and up until he was born I never felt that way about someone before so I think that's probably got to be the second most important thing in my life is that kind of m my love for him but also love, you know love for everyone else it's not a it's not a competition yeah it's not a competition I mean if it were uh, he'd lose because uh, <laughs> he's he's small and you know he's actually I don't know he's pretty tough he could probably handle a sword. Um, what sort of competition thing... are you running? What? <laughs> Blood sport. It's all uh, or nothing. Okay, I, I, I want to be like I want to be like Caesar sat there in the Colosseum, thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, fight for my love. Uh, <laughs> okay, I guess the third thing I value most would be probably cartoons because um it's pretty much center to everything that i do right now and there was like a a realization i had a few years ago where it was like huh all the tv shows i'm watching and in general media i consume is animated like you know whilst people were talking about the breaking bad finale i was more interested in what was going on in i don't remember what was on at the time steven universe or something like that so um i think cartoons are probably something i value more and it's obviously a lot that i centered my channel around and um in general it's all yeah i'm always happy to unwind with a cartoon show and it, it may that may sound childish i guess but like there's obviously i think you're fully aware as well there's like just a plethora of you know wonderfully animated shows out there different age ranges different styles um 
And so I guess that's the third thing I value since, again, I've based a lot of my personality around that. So sure, let's go with that. That sounds underwhelming, though. <laughs> Who said that being childish was a bad thing? Like, I do a lot of childish stuff. Like, I love Lego. And I'm like, that's fucking sick. I don't like I, I think the concept of being an adult was created by a lot of people who were told what not to like by their parents when they were kids. So that's I don't true. I don't really like I, I like childish things because childish things are usually just things that are innocent and things that don't have any more subtext than you need them to. And I like that. I think that for me that I I guess to me, childish is more like, I guess it is the more perceived thing. So stuff like cartoons, I think are perceived as childish. And to me, to me, it's more like uh, for the most cases, it's just, they're just family, which just means kids can watch it, but it's not like for kids. Like, okay. Yeah. You could say like something like Shrek, the Shrek is for kids, but uh, like they obviously put in a lot of adult jokes in there. So it's clearly not just for kids. Um, And I guess as well, this, I mean, I'm I'm approaching 40 and there's almost something insidiously creepy about a 40 year old man who still watches cartoons. It's like I feel like somebody's at some point I ought to be like, OK, no, I'm done with the cartoons now. I'm going to watch my grown up programs, stuff about antiques and <laughs> people moving houses and <laughs> dance shows. Like, I don't know that at some point I feel like something's meant to turn on in my brain and be like, like OK, this is the stuff I'm interested in, but it never seemed to switch off from the kid mode. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a fucking man child then. I, I think that's fucking rad because the majority of the people that do all the cool stuff that I like still, like they engage in anime, they engage in like a lot of the shows that I like. There's a, I had a person on the show who, uh, Jason Waite, he created Starship Goldfish. And ah, yes. It, it was Sam Sweetmilk originally, and like we 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 have chatted subsequently about like uh, animation and cartoons are just sick as hell. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it, but I like them. And there wasn't something that I did before the pandemic. Like I watched my first anime during this pandemic. Um, the first ever anime I watched was Neon Genesis Evangelion, which probably wasn't the best <laughs> starting <laughs> one. Um, it was better than my first anime. My first anime was Kill the Kill, which is. That's like going in the deep end of a swimming pool for your first swimming lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm currently watching Kill a Kill with a couple of friends of mine. And I'm getting like, I have a friend who's like, there's subtext here, I swear. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, question three is tell me a memory that shaped you. Christ. Uh, <laughs> I live for the fear. See the fear that just got <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> That's why I created this show. Fuck. A memory that shaped me. Like a lot. When I try to just think back to my childhood, the only stuff I can come up with is like unremarkable stuff. Like that one time I swallowed a fly whilst riding my bike. Like that's a funny story, but it's not one that shaped me. Uh, (laughs) um, Okay. So when I was growing up, um, so what most kids, when they learn to uh, speak and read and write, that kind of kicks in around two, three, four years old, usually by five, you know, they've started school. So they're like, they've already got the basics down. And it's from that point, they springboard into, you know, the proper education curriculum stuff. But for me, um, I got to five and I still wasn't at the 
even quite at the talking stage, you know, I'd be mostly verbally, um, the odd word here or there, but like not to the stage a kid my age should be. Um, I was taken to, um, I was taken to various doctors. Um, one thought that I may be deaf. Um, one thought that I may have had autistic tendencies. Um, and this was all based on this test where they would like set me up with some toys and I would play with the toys. And um, then behind me, they would ring a bell and kids are meant to turn around at the source of the sound. Go, Ooh, what's that? But I didn't, I was focused on the toys. And to be honest, I still do that today. I could be like so transfixed in the show. You know, my wife who could be sat next to me is like, Eddie, Eddie, the baby's on fire. And I'll be like, Ooh, some, you know, the, the thing that I'm focused on is more interesting right now. Um, so, uh, so none of that really checked out, but um, I was taken to a school that had a special speech therapy where they had more, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was a primary school, but it had like a separate section that was dedicated to helping kids who were struggling with uh, their speech and uh, their development on that front. So I started there and uh, I think I was there for a few years um, whilst I got my whole, like, yeah, my, my reading, writing boosted up. But um, in between um, there would be like, like, just like, Oh, an activity. Like, I'll oh, just like, here's paint, do, do some painting. Um, it's not you're not painting to a task you're not like paint a bowl of fruit or anything it's like here's a canvas here's a paint just paint um so uh at the time i was big on thomas the tank engine um and uh so i thought i would paint my favorite trains which was uh james edward uh, james gordon and henry um and uh what i painted really surprised everyone so like most kids, when they paint a train, they would paint it either front on or profile. Um, they would sort of see things quite two dimensionally like that. Um, I, however, painted it as if you were looking at them from a bridge. So you're looking at it from perspective, right? So like from high up, top down, you're seeing like their fronts and their tops. And it, I mean, it wasn't a good painting. It was still painted by a child, so it was shit. But um, it was the fact that I demonstrated perception, I guess. I mean, um, from what I understand, and this could be grossly incorrect, and I apologize if it is, but like from what I understand, a, a symptom or, or, or a, a side effect of, of autism is the inability to perceive other perspectives, which could be why um, it's hard to reciprocate emotions or detect sarcasm and that kind of thing um it's hard to put yourself in somebody else's boots and so there's like an experiment where you have a figurine on a on a toy mountain and you put the figurine on top of the mountain and you say what can the figurine see and then uh, kids with autistic tendencies or, or or somewhere on the spectrum may just describe the thing they can see in front of them rather than put themselves in the, the imagination of the figurine and what that figurine could see um so basically in that moment that painting of the trains i demonstrated to all my teachers that not only um did you know was i did i not really demonstrate the autistic tendencies they suspected but like i was like better than most of the kids in my class because i demonstrated that perspective um they'd never seen in a kid my age before and they um hung up that painting in the school so for the rest of my school years up until i went to secondary school 
my painting was hung up in the school halls for everyone to see. And um, as again, as somebody, as I mentioned before, who thrives on the validation of others, that was pretty validating. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Like when, when I was a, a kid, I didn't, basically I was heavily socially stunted uh, because I was bullied like extremely. And so I didn't have any moment like that where I got like an intense amount of validation. I essentially had to like drag myself up by like, no, I'm, I'm good enough. I swear. Uh, and just to hear that that is exactly what I would have needed as a kid to be like, this is good. Um, so hell yeah. I like It's that like the extreme version of your mum hanging your paint, hanging your picture <laughs> on the fridge. You know, the, the teacher hung it up on the wall. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> oh. That's nice. That may, that gives you a warm feeling in my chest. I mean, um, there's a sad ending to it, though. Uh, the painting's lost. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could have it because I mean, it'd be it'd be it would make a great video. It'd be great to like tell the story and also show the final piece at the end. But like, no, nah, it's it's long gone. Um, I did try to reach out to the school to be like, is there at least a photo of it? But they're they're busy, so yeah. <laughs> so yeah. no. <laughs> but you. I mean, it's the middle of a global pandemic. You could paint those trains again. I could, but it wouldn't be the same. Yeah, it? <laughs> it, it would be, but you can connect. That's what I do sometimes when I do stop motion animations because that was the thing that I was hyper-focused on as a kid. I would do these animations. I haven't done it in years, but I, I sometimes do, like when I was 16, I used to like do them just to be like, I remember when I was doing this as a kid. And I yeah. like, yeah. And this next question is not as difficult as that question, I swear. Uh, question four what's your favorite color um i don't know if i necessarily have a favorite color i guess it just it depends on the the vibe and feel of all the mood i guess i mean like a lot of my brand is predominantly red i do like red um the the room behind me as you can probably see is red um i dress probably predominantly blue I've got blue eyes and blue tends to be, I just tend to dress blue to sort of bring them out more. Um, but I, I have been growing quite, I have been growing quite fond of pink lately. Um, I feel like as a, as a boy of the eighties, pink was a color that was deprived to me. And uh, now that I'm in my, well into my thirties, I'm like rediscovering pink and like, I've got more and more pink clothes. Um, not that you're, your listeners can tell but like i have pink lights on behind me um so like i've been growing quite fond of pink so like as i said it just sort of depends tell me in as much detail as you can about something you knew of which once existed and now does not i feel like i ought to answer something about like a tv series that is cancelled and i can tell you all about the ins and outs of you know the show and how it was made and all this stuff but the first thought that occurred to me, and I'm just going to run with it, is um, Water Palace. So Water Palace was a water slide, indoor swimming pool, kind of theme park type thing um, in an area close to where I grew up, uh, Croydon. And um, it was like the kind of the go-to place for kids my age. You know, it was where pe people would go to hang out. Every birthday party was held there. Um, uh, it was just like, it was full of slides and it had a wave machine that had a big siren. So when you heard them, you just knew, oh shit, here comes the waves. And you know, it would just go crazy. 
Um, and uh, I spent, I, I would probably have gone there multiple times a year, um, probably more than I actually bathed. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and, uh, and it's like, yeah, it is long gone apparently. And I sort of learned this sort of well after the fact, but apparently it was bereft with like health and safety problems. Like kids would get injured all the time. <laughs> and like, obviously I, I had luckily escaped any injury. I guess I'm just that goddamn cool. Um, but um, like, I mean, in retrospect, I did think like, actually, yeah, maybe that was a really dodgy theme park because there's like um, one of the water slides is like, and I feel like, I feel like when they constructed these water slides, someone fucked up because like, I feel like, so the water slides are like plastic tubes and they are made in like two halves, right? And then they seal the two halves together and that makes the tube. I feel like the crease, the seam ought to have been on the sides, right? Not top and bottom where your back is sliding against. Oh, so, no. so I've definitely grazed my back on just like the odd, you know, the odd tiny nick here or there up and down the slide where you just go down full pelt in your bare back and it just slices your back. I mean, or grazes your back to be honest. Like, um, but it only takes like a few knocks that eventually wears and tears that thing into a sharper point. And you got a kid coming down like, you know, fully slashed up and stuff. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, blood trauma. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that's the thing. I just remember fondly, going all the time to this water theme park and it's long gone and i even tweeted yeah i'm i the only reason it's like on the forefront of my memory is because um not to date this interview or anything but obviously there's been a lot of news lately of the royal family and um i suggested what if we were to replace buckingham palace with water palace <laughs> just bring that back turn the thing into a big water theme park i think it's a win-win <laughs> it is a win-win and also it doesn't uh this interview, it does, it's not going to date it because I guarantee at some stage when people are listening to this, there's going to be other drama about the royal family. <laughs> <laughs> or they could uh, all be dead. Uh, who ooh, knows? What <laughs> twist? Isn't that exciting? <laughs> um, I'm I'm Irish. I have a lot of <laughs> a lot of history. With... <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, question six: uh, What if anything is perfect? It's hard. It's like. My mind goes to movies and a movie that's just, I mean, I know it's, it's, it's entirely subjective, but like, it's perfect to me. Um, but even now it's like, it's so hard to like revisit a lot of films with the kind of more, the awareness and stuff that you pick up over the years, you know, things like, I mean, I've been revisit, um, I've been recently revisiting a lot of old comedy movies and even ones that I held up as being like, no, 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 these are perfect. These are like the best. I mean, they don't, they don't lessen in terms of being the best, but they lose perfection because it'd be stuff like Life of Brian has transphobic jokes in there. I'm like, oh, I didn't. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, that sucks. And like, um, uh, so, and Groundhog Day was another one I revisited recently. And it's like, that technically has rape jokes in it. And it's like, oh, God damn it. Why can't something just stay good? <laughs> Why was it? Oh, God damn it. So, um, so I'm going to, I guess, 
I mean, Wally, I think, is pretty up there as a perfect movie. Um, one that I could watch again and again. Uh, I don't think there are any flaws. I mean, most of them don't talk, so it's not. It's not. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Is it? Is it? Is it potentially fat phobic? Fat phobic because of the 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 the, the spaceship baby people? I don't think so because because they. I don't know. It's it's so hard to say because the moment you say that something's perfect, like a film or an actor or um, even music, like come a time you discover, oh no, they used to like stab babies for a hobby. I'm like, oh god, fucking damn it! You know, can't something. <laughs> God, something just stay good. You know, I grew up with Rolf's Cartoon Club and it's like, God, the fuck, man. <laughs> like, um, like he got me into making cartoons and like now oh, fuck him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, but is there anything left that's actually perfect? I'm, I'm, now going, I'm now just trying to think of a food that's perfect. Like a food I've had that's just like consecutively been never bad. And like even then I can't promise you know like pizza pizza's pretty good but i've had bad pizza before so it's like god damn it um i guess i guess the fact is is the in order for perfection to exist imperfection has to also exist and i don't think it's possible to have something that's truly perfect without those flaws um if anything to highlight how much better the rest of it is so I guess I'll go, I guess I'll be lame and I'll say that nothing is actually perfect because imperfection makes perfection perfect. There you go. There's a, there's a nice, there's a nice sucking my own dick sentence there for you. Wow. <laughs> uh, for me, it's in the background there. I noticed that you have a copy of Muffin Time. That you're, oh, um, so I backed Muffin Time during its original campaign. Ah. and i back thank you uh it's it's incredible and in particular i mean i haven't gotten many chances to play it because you know global pandemic but uh we chose the best time to release the <laughs> fucking social card game in social distance <laughs> fuck <laughs> but um just before everything kind of hit the fan here in ireland um my friend brian came down to where i'm from so he lives up the country and he came down for a job interview and I had just gotten my copy of Muffin Time. So you can actually tell the exact date uh, roughly when I got this. And I brought it and I was like, because we play board games together. And I was like, Brian, we have to play this. And we sat in this shitty cafe, which subsequently closed down and then was made into a new cafe. But it had these rinky tables that were like stained with coffee mugs and stuff. And we just, the table was just about big enough for, um, to play a game of Muffin Time. It was just the two of us, which I know isn't the ideal way to play it. But at the same time, we laughed so hard that the uh, server of the shop came over and was like, what are you playing? Like, what are you playing that is making you laugh so hard? And we were like, oh no, is, 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 are we too loud? And they're like, no, but no one, like we're closing this shop down in like two and a half weeks. What, like, what, what are you playing? And we're like, oh, it's Muffin Time. Uh, and that to me, because it was, if the weather wasn't even particularly perfect, it was like gray outside, but it was lovely and warm in this cafe and the sun, like the little rays of light were, were kicking in. And it was just, it was just magical. 
like to put every, all the pieces together of that it was just magical so that for me is perfect and, and that remind it was in my head from when i saw your your game of muffin time oh so. thank you who is your favorite character from fiction of any kind and why my favorite real life comedian is rick mail um he is a for those who don't know he's a british alternative comedian predominantly from like the 80s and 90s um a very enigmatic figure um and uh a lot of the characters he plays in any show um like um like young ones like new statesman or my favorite tv show of all time bottom um he always plays the bastard and i find that character that style of character to be I'm always drawn to the bastard. Sometimes they could be the brilliant bastard, you know, like someone like House, for example, you know, who is like cruel and mean, but like is a genius at the same time. Um, but Rick Mayo's bastards tend to be um, like pathetic and like sympathetic in a way, in a twisted way. Um, and I, that has, I'm so drawn to the bastard. I think it may be, maybe part of me who feels like I've always been, I've always grown up to be quite the goody goody two shoes. Like I, I, I did well at school. Um, I never like shirked my homework or um, missed a lesson or, or anything like that. You know, I was a well-behaved kid, a square. And I always felt like it was, you know, partly it was like, no, this is the done thing. This is the dutiful thing. I am doing the thing I meant to do rather than like, I don't know, live a bit more. There's probably more experiences that my, my friends may have had, um, you know, missing a lesson here or, you know, just, just generally being naughty. I don't know. There's, there's a lot more, but I, I did so much of the following of the rules that um, the, 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 to, 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 I did so much following of the rules that for a character that rebels against the rules is so exotic to me and tantalizing. And it makes me wish I could be that brave or that bold or that outspoken. And I, I feel like I've, I have been better at that in, in the subsequent years. Um, I'm, I'm quite outspoken on Twitter. Um, but um, I think it sort of stems from that kind of that semi-hero worship of that style of character. Um, it shapes so much. Like a lot of the, the, the shows that I'm writing, I incorporate the bastard into um when i play dnd i like to be a goblin because the goblins are the bastards of the dnd world um my favorite animal is raccoons who are the bastards of the animal kingdom <laughs> like I, I i just i'm so drawn to the bastard um like even even with my own son although he was married within wedlock um he was uh, born within wedlock should i say um he uh I, I, something I sort of said to my wife is that I, I don't want him to always follow the rules. Um, I want him to, off his own accord, break the rules sometimes or bend the rules. Um, because I think that's, that's, that's life. I think that's living life more um, where you challenge norms and um, you, you alter perspectives um, rather than you know, sort of ground your feet in onto what is traditional right um you know growing up i would have absolutely have done 
the transphobic jokes, the fat phobic jokes, the racism jokes. You know, this is the stuff I would have joined in on because that was also part of the norm. That was also part of like, well, everyone else is doing it, so I'm going to do it. And it took a number of years to sort of like unprogram that stuff um, from my from my lexicon, well, not lexicon, but just from acceptability, I guess, to learn like, no, that is actually fucked up and I should stop doing that. Um, and um, I think, yeah, I, I think a lot of it has come from loving and appreciating the bastard. So it's it. it it's, it's it's a broad answer because it's not one fictional character it's a trope i guess but it's the it's the rick male bastard character <laughs> that is a fucking class answer i fucking love that <laughs> <laughs> that's class i'm gonna have to look up because i know the character that it my my favorite kind of archetype character would be like that as well i like the like the terrible genius the terrible torture genius sort of thing mm. like house is one of my favorite characters of all time just because he's he's a prick but no one can do anything to him because he's too good at his job that yeah. shit i live for that shit like <laughs> I, I think so i fucking love that answer thank you <laughs> um question eight what fascinates you about it was about this point last year um i first entered therapy because there was um, I was having, and I guess I've always had, like these series of like panic attacks or crisis, I guess, um, based around death. And I don't mean like seeing a dead body. I mean my own mortality. Um, and um, it's been always been something I have avoided thinking about because the moment I start thinking about it. I then panic and I feel sick and I have to distract myself. I have to procrastinate. I have to do anything to take my mind off it, um, which isn't dealing with the problem, which is why I took up therapy. Um, unfortunately, due to the whole partially of the whole COVID situation and financial situation, I couldn't stick to the, to the therapy. But from what I um, sort of prove, I sort of, I guess as a byproduct of it um, for a patch of time, I sort of grew a fascination with with death to an extent um i'm still quite hesitant about it but for example uh i've always grown up avoiding horror movies um i am just absolutely not a horror movie fan i get so squeamish at um blood and gore like i can handle i i, I can pretty much handle real life blood more than i can movie blood you, you know what i mean like there's the whole like the scenario and the scene around it, like the murderers come up and is gleefully stabbing the person or whatever, or torturing them. And it, you know, I've always found that's so hard to stomach. And so I've just generally avoided horror movies for the past like 20, 30 years. Um, the very few I have taken in, I have really enjoyed, which is weird. Cause it sort of stands to reason, Hey, maybe I would enjoy more if I just tried it. Um, like, um, uh, like uh, uh, ha Halloween or Blair Witch Project or um, Psycho. Well, not really Psycho, but you know th that sort of horror where it, it's it's there's something more palatable about it because it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't regale in the gore so much. So um, for a, for a period of time, I almost with a sickening fascination um, would watch. Uh, I would watch scenes from like 
Final Destination, Saw, It, yeah, all these like recent um, horror, gore, torture centric movies. But I would watch them as YouTube clips. So I've removed the atmosphere. I've removed the buildup. I've removed the story. So like obviously part of a horror is that it's meant to like constantly instill in you a sense of unease and anxiety up until the the reveal of the monster or whatever. It's 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 there's a lot that horror shares in comedy in terms of setup beat punchline. Um and so I've just I just get the punchlines um of all these horror scenes. Therefore, I, I don't get freaked out by it because I I'm watching these scenes with now with a removed context. And so I can immediately sort of just like devour, like I've watched, I've now watched every single saw trap. I've now watched like every it kill, uh, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and I can, I can, and, and I can, I can do so because I've removed the, the, the horror, con the horror aspect of it. And I'm now just seeing them as just like, like, f like almost like moments of theater without, but without the buildup. It's hard to explain. Um, so I guess that's that's a recent fascination. That's a, that's the one that's popped to mind. I mean, it's not one that I. That was like a period of time. That was like a month's obsession. I'd say like a month or two's obsession. Uh, it's not something I continued to do since. Um, but it, it just stuck out to me as just being a moment of like. A hyper focus I had for a period of time. Um, perhaps if I were to start up therapy again, it would be something that I would do again, and maybe. Maybe, just maybe, I would actually watch the horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> maybe um, that the whole thing was designed around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as a person who appreciates movies and, uh, and stories, and as I said, it shares a lot with comedy, so I ought to appreciate the other aspect of it. But uh, um, one day, one day I'll be brave. Um, yeah, I guess that's really it. I mean, like, the, the only other, like, fascination I... I'm trying to think of a fascination I have that's outside of movies that's just like very um specific um the, the only other thing i could think of is like i mean it's a bit gross but like pimples and spots like... <laughs> i know a lot of people who have that oh, fascination. good yeah, good, yeah. good like like dr pimple popper that, that's <laughs> like that's like oh i'm gonna just lose hours of my life to just like oh okay i'm just gonna start watching pimple popper videos um and it's it's gross but it's so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's actually been an answer on on this show before. For me, I can't. I get very squeamish around like blood and like pus and all that stuff. So I can't do it. But it was likened. One of my friends likened it because like, how the fuck can you like that? And they were like, yeah, but you have spent three days watching nothing but lock picking videos. Explain. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's not that different. It's. It's a mechanism, and the mechanism gets unlatched, and that's it. I'm like, yeah. okay, I, I can see it. I can see it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting that you went, you answered that question the way you did, because one of my latter questions was, how do you feel about death? Now, don't worry, I have contingencies in place of people answer questions act, like <laughs> beforehand. But uh, yeah, that's fascinating for, for me. Um, death wasn't a fascination it was more of an ominous dread which this show has actually helped me to deal with because i've spoken to enough people and, and gotten their answers on it that i'm just like at this stage all right <laughs> yeah I mean, it's still there i feel like it's it is still there as an ominous dread um because like I'm, I'm an atheist so i don't believe in an afterlife 
So, and the notion of the infinite nothingness just like freaks me the fuck out. Um, I try to like weaponize it. I try to like turn it towards like, well, in which case, do something. Carp DM, like the, the, live the day, go do a thing. Don't don't put off the thing. Do the thing. Um, I don't always follow through because I'm a piece of shit. But um, <laughs> I believe the term is like, human. Um, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. human. <laughs> but um, yeah. Question nine: What piece of media should everyone consume? God, I know there has been like so many movies that like I've cried at, and it's like, oh, this is such an important movie, and you know, people should see it. But like, I'm really struggling to think of any one of those movies. Um, like, you, you know, like like Zootropolis, for example, because that vaguely talks about racism, but in a kind of clunky way. But like they tried, and it's like, well, I mean, no, not really. That's that's not my answer. But I feel like there ought to be an important movie. I'm just trying to think of what what movies have ever been made. Like I can't <laughs> think of a single fucking one. Like I mean, a lot of the, like, a lot of my focus has been lately on spoof movies. So like a lot of my answers keep centering around like something like Airplane, which is such a a deconstruction of movies in such a wonderful way that. Um, but that's only really applicable if you're like a, a, not even a, a film buff, but like you've seen enough movies to then get the subversions that they're doing. Um, so it's not really the right answer. Uh, I guess for the benefit of an answer, since I'm really struggling here, um, I think a safe bet is something like Steven Universe. Um, the fact that they have managed to make a, um, I mean, it, it, it's the it's the magical was it the magical pixie girl but it's a boy instead and um like a female a powerful female driven show um and it sort of quite delicately manages to wrangle subjects like um loss and um identity and anxiety and stress um in such ways that like other cartoon shows before or even after really have managed to sort of like handle in such the right way. And like Steven Universe in a way is such an interesting, just the fact that like at some point Rebecca Sugar would have turned to Cartoon Network and been like, hey, so I've got a show. It's about aliens who are actually rocks and they had a war at one point, but they don't anymore. And now they fight the occasional monster with a small boy who's kind of half alien. And, and, and just at some point, Cartoon Network went, yep, yep, that sounds good. We'll go go ahead, we'll make five seasons of it and a movie. And it's like, what a hard sell that was because it's got such a dense, lore-packed show. And like during the, the sort of the heyday of it, it was like my friends and I will be swapping theories and like trying to guess what was going to happen next and what this thing meant. And we were always wrong, but um, there was just that um, that shared moment we had watching these shows and crying along and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it, it's those sort of shows only ever come once in a while. I think recently it's been like One Division, for example, that show that everyone has been watching together. Um, and then you share theories and and stuff like that. But although I don't think it quite has the same impact, I think the steven universe had um before it was like gravity falls um 
and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I guess Steven Universe, because it's it it's still, although the story has been told, um, I think it still has a lot of lessons that curveball from a lot of the status quo when it comes to magical kids shows. You know, it's not this awesome, let's fight the monster. You know, the very fact that Steven is given a shield instead of a sword, like it shows he's he's not an attacker. He is he's there to try to make peace. And in, in, in most cases, he solves the situation by just talking to the thing rather than trying to kill it. Um, and so um, I think that's a show I would appreciate it growing up. Um, so I guess I'll go with that. If you could name a hot sauce, what would you call it and why? If I could name a hot sauce? <laughs> yeah. I guess I would call it instant regret. <laughs> How hot would it be? Uh, not like ghost pepper hot, but like, you know, like a notch or two down. Like, you know, it's pretty damn hot. Somewhere above Piri Piri. Um, Question 13. Did you ever have an epiphany? If so, what was it about? I think the last genuine epiphany I've had was, and it's, 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 it's going to be lame because I'm going to be like promoting my own video off the back of it because it was part of researching a video. Um, I did a video last year um, looking into what happened to Goofy's wife. Um, so in the 90s, there was a show called Goof Troop where Goofy had a son. Um, the son has largely been like taken out of the Disney continuity, kind of, although I think they're going to probably bring him back eventually. Um, but either way, like for a while, it was the, that was the thing. It was like Goofy father has a son, um, but you never saw the wife. And so I did this big deep dive um, into like the history and the lore of Goofy building up to Goof Troop and like what happened to um, the mother of his son, uh, whether he married or not, whether she died at birth or died shortly after, whatever. Like, yeah, was there, is there any clue? And there is none. Um, you know, I watched every episode of Goof Troop. I think there was something like 56 episodes. I watched every single one and the movies. Um, and like we, we picked out like whatever clues and hints we could towards the, the, her the, the heritage and, and stuff. But like um, ultimately it, it's a lot of like, as uh, we sort of addressed this in the video, um, it seems more just generally Disney are avoiding backstory, so they just don't mention it. But in doing so, they've now implied a different one, like the fact that she's probably dead or something. Um, but the so I was like really racking my brains. It's just like if I'm going to make this a video, I need to give it some kind of conclusion. I need I I I, I don't like making videos that are like you know here's here's a here's a fan theory, here's a mystery, here's all the here's all the how all the clues kind of semi-connect to that premise um and and not give like an actual answer or at least like more of a genuine evidence-based answer um like beforehand i did a video about like dark theories about kids shows like 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 you know preschool shows um but every time i brought up a theory i would then follow it up with okay but here's here's what the actual creators say on the subject so i don't just leave it entirely to fan theory because i can't stand that 
Um, but I was at this point in the video where it's like, I really only have fan theory. I have nothing more, nothing more groundwork. Um, and the epiphany I had was the fact that um, at one point there's an episode where one of them pretends to be a baby and just gets left on the doorstep. And, um, and it's like, huh, that's kind of like stalks. And although it's never mentioned at any point in any episode, it's like that ties in perfectly with everything Disney do. They always use stalks to explain babies. And so it's like, oh, it's a, it was a stalk. <laughs> so it was like, oh, and it was like really cool. It's like, oh, am I the first one to figure that out? Am I the first one to figure out that it's, it's a stalk? And so I like, I Googled around and like no one else had ever connected it. Um, and it's like, oh, this sounds really cool. And then like, but it, it, I also had to stay true to my, my word of like, I, I can't post fan theory. I have to back it up. Um, and um, the fact that like the episode still mentioned pregnancy means that like, oh, then stalks don't work. I mean, there's the movie stalks, which I love. Um, <laughs> Which had which which does have stork babies and pregnancy babies go you know side by side, but that's not Disney. So I had nothing to to latch onto. It's like oh well, then I have to give up on on that theory. Um, but that was such a surge at the moment. Be like oh I'm the first to think of this. Um, and so uh, and that's always a cool moment. Like especially when I'm because like a lot of what I do when I make videos is that I first of all check has anyone else made a similar video. Or at least ways a similar video recently or as thoroughly as I intend to do. Um, and once I know that's okay, then I go ahead. Um, like one of the first videos I did was Who Shot Mr. Burns? And no one had covered all the clues that they kept in the episode that allude to Who Shot Mr. Burns. Um, and so that became the first video. And like um, it has since been like, ripped off by other people like there was a website that pretty much used it word by word verbatim in an article without crediting me <laughs> and um so um i guess that's an epiphany an, an, an epiphany of sorts um the only other kind i've had really has just been like an ongoing like day-to-day -day kind of thing with my son uh he's slowly learning to speak and so there's a lot of times where it's like, oh, that's what he means, you know, like, like when he says something in his own kind of like kid language and you're like, oh, he wants a milk. He's asking for a milk, you know, and stuff like that. So um, there's the odd little moment like that. But I, I, yeah, I think I don't think I've quite had a big, oh, my God, moments in yeah, the, for, for something that I figured out uh, quite like the, the stalk goofy moment. What is the most valuable thing you've ever learned? So when my wife and I were first dating, um, again, to remind you, I grew up a goody-goody two-shoes. So uh, doing naughty stuff with girls, uh-uh, no, 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 naughty, naughty. You don't do that. Wait till you're married. No, no that was never a thing. <laughs> but like in general, like um, I was a virgin up until the age of 21. Um, and... I don't know. I just, I just never knew how to talk or um, treat a girl like a human. You know, <laughs> it's like I, I guess it's it's just part again of that kind of like '80s era 
programming that like um i guess it's not really a program that ever goes away but like it, it, the one of like uh romantic partners are accomplishments they're goals they're not they're, you know they're not really people you know don't worry about that part yeah if you like them then great but like that's not really the aim of the game here um like i, I remember like bumping into an old friend who i hadn't seen in years uh, in a pub and I was like oh hey how's it going and he goes oh you know fucking as many girls as I can that same old I'm like oh okay <laughs> like like oh it's just a quantity thing to you it's just a, a numbers game um I was a dumb 21 year old and I just met my wife uh for the first time and we'd hang out we'd go out we'd you know we'd do stuff whatever um but she had more of a history I mean obviously I had none but she had more of a history. Um, and a part of me, had obviously I've never dealt with this sort of thing before, but a part of me was always like, how could I compete with this stuff? You know, some of the things that she, she got up to during her like university days, it's like, I have done nothing like that. I'm like so inexperienced. Um, and um, it's like, how can I compete with that kind of history? I just can't. Um, I could never live up to that. Um, and of all things, it was, we were watching Chasing Amy by Kevin Smith. And um, it's, it's a fine film. It's, I wouldn't even class it as my favorite film. I don't think I've even watched it again since the first time we, we watched it. But um, the character goes through the similar sort of thing where he has, um, he has trouble accepting his partner's sexual history. And what's sort of made clear in the movie is just the fact that like, it, it, it basically, it doesn't fucking matter what history they had. They chose you. It's like, if they wanted the history, they'd still be there, but they're not. And in fact, it should even be a compliment because it would be like, out of all this stuff, <laughs> out of all the things, out of all the available options, She's chosen you. She's chosen you to go out with. And I was like, oh, okay. And I immediately got over it. I immediately got over all my hangouts and be like, oh, that makes so much fucking sense. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about something you learned recently that amused you. I got a beard. And so I'm learning things all the time. Like the feeling of getting my beard caught in a coat zip. Um, so it's a new feeling uh, <laughs> or, or like the feeling of a small boy who wants your attention, uh, grabbing it and uh, pulling it um, <laughs> so he can have your undivided attention. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, if we're talking more like topical stuff, then like there's the there's the Pepe Le Pew thing that made me laugh, which was like, um, so um Pepe Le Pew is a Looney Tunes character who um he's always been one joke which is um he falls in love with anything that vaguely resembles a skunk and will then pursue them despite they refusing his advances um and that's the whole thing and the whole thing becomes a chase I mean like every Looney Tunes character ultimately boils down to a conflict and a chase that's that's basically the formula they've always operated on, but this one is on a romantic angle. So it is a horny skunk wants wants to fuck that cat. 
Um, and that obviously has greater different connotations. Um, but um, he was meant to be, Pepe Le Pew was meant to be in Space Jam 2. And there's an article that came out recently that was like, oh, he's been cut. Uh, he's been cut from the movie. He's been cut. From, his, his scene has been cut. Therefore, he is cut from the movie. Um, he, that was his one and only appearance, apparently. Um, and uh, which is funny because it's, cl- that it's clear that it's like, oh, we just don't know what to fucking do with this character. So we just put him, put him in one scene. And, yeah, he's, he's, we, we, cut, we cut him from one scene and he's gone from the movie. Um, but uh, it was the reaction that people had. The knee-jerk reaction was people saying that, um, uh, oh, this is SJWs. They're at it again. Political correctness. Because, and they had nothing to grasp onto. It's just like, because uh, he's French. Uh, or because, um, because, uh, oh, because he's, he's, you know, he's, he's a, they're upset because he's always chasing after women. He's a sex pest. And, uh, now they've cut him from the movie, boo. And, and like, unlike those people, I actually read the article, uh, which actually said that um, the scene that he was going to be in was going to be that he was like a barman and there was a, like a, some actress there who he kisses on the arm and she refuses the advance, slaps him, and so he spins and spins. And then like, like Bugs Bunny comes in or whatever and is like, hey, Pepe Le Pew, we talked about this. You've got to learn consent. And it's like, oh, the scene was literally addressing his whole, like, rapey vibe. <laughs> and uh, that got cut. So all the people who were, like, defending Pepe Le Pew were, like, ironically wanting to put in the scene where he's called out back in. <laughs> so <laughs> that was that was silly. So, yeah. If you were on a starship, what position would you hold? Something else that actually oddly came up in therapy um, is the fact that, like, along with like the kind of the validation for others, that I never, I sort of never value, or I don't value myself above anyone else. And I don't mean to say like big-headed, I'm more important than you, but like, um, like I'm the sort of person who's always last into the into the lifeboats. If you see what I mean. Like I always put a lot of my problems aside in favor of others, and there's another really grossly unhealthy aspect of me that I'm I'm struggling to shake off. Um, so had you asked me this like a year ago, I would have definitely have said something like, "Oh, I don't know, I'd just be an ensign. I would just, you know, I'd be a follower, not the captain. I wouldn't, you know, I I I I I just follow." Um, but I've been like trying to, you know, become more emboldened and like more more sure in what i want to do so um although i still don't want to be the captain that's a lot of responsibility <laughs> so i guess i'd be something like uh i'm not really a driver we could have drive the ship it was a swishy swoosh through this through the stars but like i'm not really that either so uh i i, I mean i guess whatever whatever position it would be where I'd get to fuck around in the holodecks, like whatever position that is, whether <laughs> it's a maintenance officer, whether it's like a designer, or if it's just the guy who has to like 
it's a joke from lower decks but like it you know the guy who has to clean up afterwards <laughs> from what all the other people use the holodecks for uh, so um yeah the holodeck has always fascinated me as a as a star trekky thing so yeah i guess that whatever position that is if you could give just one piece of advice what would that be i don't know if i've really happy satisfactory this is a good punchy ending kind of a an answer but like um obviously a lot of like moral lesson type stuff has come up with my son um my wife and i would discuss about the appropriate way to to raise him you know i'm atheist my wife is christian um so you know how where how would we talk to our son about religion when we differ um i'm straight my wife is bisexual so where would we talk about sexuality uh or gender or identity or you know all this all this stuff so like um there's a lot of complicated stuff to come um but in terms of just i guess like general moral um like a like a motto to live by um i guess something i've always tried to live by is that um you're free to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt or oppress anyone and that's it no one is stopping you from doing the things as long as you don't do those two um and that's something i've just generally lived with um i've hoped it's made me sort of more aware i mean i i still very often put my foot in it but like i feel like people know me now that it's not from a like an insidious place it's like from a, a like a he's learning kind of way you know um i'm st- I, you know, I i will still occasionally slip up on pronouns if there's been a change from a person i knew you know uh, beforehand but um you know i think that person also knows that i'm trying like i'm not i'm not doing it on purpose like um stuff like that so i think as long as as long as you operate your life that way as long as you operate your life with that freedom but also with that awareness i think that will lead to a happier life for you and others